Welcome to Lincoln. We're a city smack dab in the middle of the country. We're a city that's home to Nebraska's state government, the University of Nebraska, and a host of thriving businesses. We're a city that's loaded with things to do, places to go, and friendly people to meet. This podcast, simply called Lincoln, is designed to help you get to know the people of Lincoln. Each episode will feature another of our residents just talking about who they are, what they do, and how they got here. I'm Randy Bretz, and joining me for these conversations is Marilyn Moore. The people of Lincoln make this community special. We want you to get to know them. We hope you'll enjoy listening to these conversations as much as we have putting them together. And now, let's meet someone who makes Lincoln their home. Well, I guess today is uh, one of my favorite uh, people here in Lincoln. Uh, she's on the city council, and uh, she is the mother of three, and uh, and the wife of one, and uh, just leads a, a fascinating, busy life. And I'm going to start with Larian Gaylor Baird. Tell me your Lincoln story. How did you get to Lincoln, Nebraska? Because I know you're not a native. Yeah. I came to Lincoln, Nebraska, with a four-month-old baby in my arms. My husband grew up, he was born in Lincoln, grew up in Superior. His family has deep roots in Nebraska. And we chose to move here when it was time to raise our children because we wanted to be near family. We wanted to have good public schools and strong community, safe community, and a place where we could balance our careers with uh, raising children the way we wanted to raise them, which was mm-hmm. to, to see them and spend time with them and know them well and have them know us. And so uh, we came here 16 years ago, had two more children. I was able to spend time raising them before re-entering the um, workforce here in Lincoln and um, volunteered with a lot of organizations and got to know the community and feel very lucky to be in a city where it's so easy to get involved, even if you're not from here, easy to get involved, easy to make a difference, easy to get inspired. And where did you come from? I'm originally from Portland, Oregon. And my husband and I met in college on the East Coast. Okay. And, yeah. And here you are in the middle of the country. Yeah. Uh, well, you've already said so many nice things about Lincoln. Let's go back and, and explore a couple of them. Uh, you're, at the, you're on the city council, so uh, maybe look at it from that lens. What do you think is uh, makes Lincoln so special? I think Lincoln is a place where just about everything seems possible. You know, we're not so big that our problems seem insurmountable, mm. and we're not so small that we don't have the resources to address the challenges we want to tackle. And I know there's that there's that game with six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You know, I, I feel like no one is more than one or two degrees separate from one another, and we're so able to reach out and connect and try and collaborate. And in Lincoln, you see so many partnerships, um, whether it's the public sector and the private sector coming together to um, build an arena that has transformed our community and grown it, grown the city literally by um, you know a handful of city blocks and changed the kind of cultural opportunities. Uh, or if it's people who decide they want to make improvements on their playground at Prescott Elementary and get together and raise money and build a walking track and plant trees and grass. I mean, when people see things they want to 
make better in Lincoln, they find ways to get it done. And I think that really that comes down ultimately to the people who live here, people who are um, optimistic, people who are friendly, people who are humble, uh, but roll up their sleeves and work hard to try and make the changes that they want to make. And did that propel you to city council or does your election or your your campaign for city council, is it a reflection of that optimism? That's a, that was a huge step for you to take to run for city council, especially for one of the at-large seats. You had to campaign citywide. Yeah, well, I feel like Lincoln is in a really exciting period of growth and change, and I wanted to offer my perspective and experience to be a small part of that. And city council seemed like a great way to do that. I had been on the planning commission, mm -hmm. had been working to try and develop the vision for how we grow this community. And we're sort of at this time where Lincoln is, you know, it's almost 300,000 people. We have the opportunity to make choices and policies that will either help us you know, maintain the quality of life that we've known as a smaller city uh, or, or not. And I think that the choices we make are really important and need to be done intentionally. So, so yeah, I, I, I looked at city council and while it was daunting in many ways, going becoming more of a public figure is, um, it also had so many opportunities to, to weigh in, to cast a vote, to try and um, represent the viewpoints of people of so many in our community who I think care about making sure that as we grow, we still have that feeling of a small town within a larger city. Uh, tell me a little bit about how the council works. I mean, I know you have meetings and you sit there behind those big desks and so on, but behind the scenes, uh, when do you get the agenda and how is that put together and how do you go about researching the issues? Yeah. We uh, get the agenda on a... Thursday afternoon, our meetings are on Monday, so um, some of those items are up for a vote really quickly. Some of them we have another week to prepare. It's not a lot of time, and we don't have a lot of resources at the council level. Sort of me and my laptop a lot of times, I like to say. <laughs> um, and also my phone, and reaching out, talking with other council members, talking with people in the community, and just listening to those who reach out to us. We do get contacted in so many ways, and whether it's social media, email, phone calls, or or live testimony. And that really is our job. Our job is to provide a public forum, you know, you know, the public hearing, where people can come and tell us whether or not they think an item that we're considering, whether it's a land use decision or uh, the approval of some new restaurant or liquor license um, or exceptions to, um, to make to help facilitate new development. They come and they let us know whether or not they think that's a right fit for our community. And it gives us an opportunity to weigh a broader perspective before we make our decisions. And really, our decisions are meant to be representative of all those perspectives. It's why it's important to have diverse viewpoints on the council. I have been there a few times when you've had uh, public testimony on an issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, how, how, does that, how do you take that in? Uh, and what do you do with the information you get? So you have a public hearing on, let's say, the you know, putting in the new LED lights in the street lights. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you do after the hearing and, and uh, think about it and so forth? 
I'm glad you thought of that example, Randy, because <laughs> I've actually taken a real interest in the LED issue since the public hearing. Mm -hmm. We went ahead and approved the conversion to LED because there was so much data about why that would be um, cost-saving for the city, why it's more energy efficient, helpful for the environment, it helps improve safety because the lighting is a better quality. But we heard some compelling testimony about the color of the light, the brightness of the light, how it affects residences versus the major arterial streets. And so I ended up um, contacting LES, and they took me out on a nighttime tour. And based on that, that testimony from people who, who took the time to mm -hmm. share their concerns, um, got a group together to go take a kind of walking look at what the different light installations were like is there a better way to do this with neighborhoods versus these main streets where you kind of expect things to be light and bright? And, and as a result, uh, we made a decision to, to use a different color of light in neighborhood streets mm -hmm. uh, than on the, the busiest, widest, largest streets. And we hope that that will appease those concerns, uh, recognize that people were heard, and, and still achieve all the objectives of energy efficiency and environmental friendliness and cost savings. So you were getting some, you, you had the public hearing and then you had people talk to you and mm -hmm. you contacted the electric system and said, mm -hmm. help me here? Yeah, we said we, we'd really like them to do the residential light installation last because it's going to take a year to sequence mm -hmm. in all the, the lights in the, the street lights in the city. Give us some time to make some evaluations on what to do in some of our core neighborhoods where the transformation could be quite um, dramatic. And so, yeah, went out walking along some streets where LES actually pilots different types of light bulbs. They have them installed in different places, and they actually ended up installing some different versions in my neighborhood uh, so that I could take a look at them at night. Uh, they've came and put special light on the corner, special light in the middle of the block, different different wattages, different <laughs> colors. And it no did idea. really help me get a good sense of it. Mm -hmm. And then we you know, worked with the administration to just give them my best recommendation on what, you know, I talked with my neighbors on the street. Hey, what do you think? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they weighed in. And it was really uh, a, an interesting, fun experience for me personally, professionally, and I hope it has benefits for oh, the that's entire interesting. city. I had, I had no idea you did that kind of well, research. And there's a lot that you never know thank happens. You, thank <laughs> you so much more. I, I've always appreciated <laughs> the work that you do. But, oh, thank you. Uh, another issue that, that we dealt with as a city recently was the cardboard. Mm -hmm. Recycling. And I know you were kind of leading the the charge there for quite a while, and then it it didn't pass. How did mm -hmm. and and how did you feel about that when it didn't pass the first time? I liked I like to say that we were a little down in the dumps about <laughs> <laughs> that the proposal got trashed the first time. Um, we we kept at it. We worked for a compromise, and we brought it back and uh, found a way to phase it in. Uh, that was acceptable to a majority of the council. And uh, I think it's just one of those things where um, Lincoln is cautious. That's one of our strengths as a community. We don't make a lot of dramatic moves. We try, you know, it helps with the stability of our community, our economy. Uh, but there are, there are certain practices that are becoming just, um, just the, the way of doing business across the country and, and, it's good that we are moving in a direction of adopting some of these processes too. They, we have to find a way to make them work for Lincoln, but it's the right thing to do. Should 
It should help with putting off the cost of a future landfill. And we all need to be thinking about ways to conserve, uh, not just with cardboard, because mm -hmm. uh, our, our resources are precious. And as more and more people live here, we're going to need to be smart about how we handle our waste. It's just a fact of life living in an urban environment. You mentioned earlier um, one of the one of the reasons that you wanted to be involved in the conversation was that Lincoln f faces a number of quality of life decisions, and it's important to be part of that process. Um, obviously, one of those quality of life decisions has to do with use of our resources, and cardboard relates to that, as does um, shifting to LED lights. What What are some other quality of life decisions that you see before us as a community? Mm -hmm. Well, as cities grow, you tend to see upticks in crime, in traffic, and in space, and sort of um, like competition for resources mm -hmm. in space. So a lot of times what we talk about with quality of life is making sure that we have you know, adequate emergency services. As we grow, we need to make sure that ambulances can reach homes and, and fire um, trucks and engines and police officers can get to people and when they need them in a crisis in a reasonable time frame. So that's an example of how we want to make sure we protect mm -hmm. the safety and quality of people's daily life in our community. And we've worked to uh, decrease response times. And that's, that's an effort that I'm really, really pleased with, excited about, proud of. We need to be doing that as a community. We also have Greenlight Lincoln, which is working to try and make sure that we have traffic moving uh, smoothly. And that's really important for people getting to work, people getting work on time safely, um, and not having the daily aggravation of urban life. So technology is an important part of that conversation, what we can do with our streetlight system. And then, you know, beyond some of those basics, I think that you've got to think about... Um, what makes a city livable in general and green space and protecting the green space we have, making sure that we continue to preserve green space for others to enjoy as we build out at the edge of the city. Um, those are important considerations. Keeping up our parks and trails, growing that trails network to offer a quality of life and options for transit that help alleviate pressure on our roads. There's that. And then really big picture, something I've talked about before in TEDx talk, Lincoln doesn't have a water source locally, a major water source. So planning for our quality of life and the actual sustenance of our daily lives here and thinking ahead, looking at the horizon, how do we ensure we have adequate water for the future? We're going to need probably a second source around the year 2040. We're going to need to be able to tap into another another water source to just make sure we can quench the thirst of all the people who, who will be born here, who will move here, who will be calling Lincoln home. Would you just do a, a, a little 30-second lesson for listeners about where our water comes from absolutely. and what, where that second source might be? Yeah, absolutely. Well, as my good friend and former planning commissioner, fellow planning commissioner Roger Larson used to say, we all drink from wells that we did not dig. Mm -hmm. And... So we are very fortunate in Lincoln, given that we do not have a river or a major source, that, that people who came before us invested in building our water infrastructure out to, the, to Ashland, where we take it from the Platte River. The Platte River, about 30 miles away, is where we draw our municipal water. And we are building new wells, more efficient, big collector wells that are helping us um, 
shore up our, our defenses against times of drought. We've imposed a lot of, um, we've really instituted a lot of new practices with cons conservation. We're, we're using less water, we're using water more efficiently, and that's helping in this process. Um, but eventually, you know, we, we will we'll reach a limit where we can't uh, have a sort of an adequate backup supply if we only rely on the plat. Mm -hmm. So right now we are looking at uh, tapping into the resources of Omaha. They actually have an overabundance of water on hand and are looking to sell some of their water resources. And that might be a nice intermediary step for our community rather than incurring the huge cost of building our our pipes and water infrastructure out to the Missouri River, which may be the ultimate answer down the road. And so, that's what, 40, 50 miles away? Yeah, it's a, it's a big, big infrastructure undertaking with a big price tag. So if we can find some ways to, to put that off to the future to find other ways to source water and then begin to adequately plan and prepare for the day when we do need to make that, take that plunge, so to speak, then I think we'll be in much better stead. What do you think makes Lincoln what it is today, the, the unique city where you and your husband wanted to come back and, and raise your children here? Well, I think it goes back to what I said about the people. I mean, we have this culture of can-do. We have this culture of helping out your neighbors. I will never forget the winter when I was pregnant with my second child. My oldest child was a toddler. It was snowing and my husband was out of town and I got up in the morning and looked out the window to check the weather and there was my neighbor shoveling my driveway for me, mm. knowing that my husband was gone, knowing that I was close to giving birth and that it would be a physical challenge for me. And then I watched my neighbor go out and shovel the driveway across the street where my, my, we had senior citizen elderly neighbors. They were taking care of the block and asking for nothing in return just paying it forward and hoping that maybe someday I would do the same for them, which I would happily do. <laughs> and I've sort of made a pledge in my mind that that is what my future entails. I think it's looking after each other, the optimism, believing that working together we can, we can accomplish great things is, what, is part of what makes Lincoln really special. That and the fact that the size of Lincoln, like I said, we are sort of a, becoming a bigger city, but it still feels like a small town quality of life. I live within walking distance of so many of my friends. It makes it easy to, to be together, to share experiences, to share stories about our families and raise our kids together. And I love that. Do you worry about Lincoln getting too big? I don't think there's a real danger of that anytime soon. But I do think, and Marilyn maybe has some thoughts about this, I, I do hope that we are able to preserve our one city, one school district. Often as many cities get larger, you start to suburbanize and you see the schools um, fracture a bit and it takes, uh, it takes a commitment like we have in Lincoln to keep us unified, making sure that resources are equitably distributed throughout the community so that all kids have a, kind of a level, level playing field when they go to school, that they're starting off with the same resources, whether you're at Elliott or Clefcorn or, or Maxie. Or, that, or Marilyn Moore School. Or Marilyn Moore School, <laughs> absolutely. And that's, um, that, that system, which I think is extraordinary benefit to the community and to the community's, children's, the community's children, is embedded in state statute. So it would take a state law for that to change. Right now, um, 
Lincoln as a, as a first-class city. Um, it's structured, that is, the city grows, that the land is automatically uh, absorbed into the school district. So we will never be um, an urban that. city surrounded by suburban school districts. Um, and I think it is, I think it is among the many contributing factors to what you've described, and that is um, a commitment to equity across the city, and also a sense that anything's possible. Because as the city expands, it both takes resources and generates resources, and the whole city is responsible for that expansion, and the whole city benefits from that expansion. And that's really uh, that's a, a, a remarkable. Um, a remarkable plan, which was was placed in statute by um, by people we do not know, but who were very, very wise, just as those who developed the first wells from which we all drink water. I'm going to wade into the weeds here a little bit, and uh, maybe we can have to edit this out. But I know you've been involved in an interesting project about data that the the mm -hmm. city uh, the city administration sits on a huge amount of data how much water we use, how much wastewater we generate and, you know, where the streets are and where the guys' pipes are and, and so on and so on. But uh, you you were instrumental in, in releasing or getting that out to the, for the public. Talk about that. Yeah, the Open Data Initiative is something I worked on with a fellow council member. It was a bipartisan initiative, and I first learned about it uh, by examining sort of best practices in other communities and going to conferences where I met other state and local elected leaders. And I was really inspired by their uh, smart technology, by their efforts to to open up city resources for public viewing, that transparency that, that we want so desperately in, in our public life. And so by putting data out, making it available for public consumption, safeguarding, of course, things that we have to safeguard sure. for privacy concerns mm -hmm. for, for individual residents of our community. But, but, but generally speaking, by putting the data out there, we are allowing a story to be told. We're allowing people who want to take that data and use it for creative or innovative purposes to do so. Uh, and hopefully we will see some interesting results from that. I know that one individual in our community um, has used city data in the past to analyze where bike crashes happen most often. And th by crunching the data and that was supplied to him by the police department and public works, he discovered that, his name is Chris St. Pierre, he discovered that most of the accidents were happening in intersections and he was able to then make some recommendations to government at the state level for, for changing some of the safety regulations that govern um, cycling. So that's an exciting example of how interested individuals with a passion for this, can take data and make a difference. Maybe there will be some people who want to take data and try and create an app or a company. Um, that you know that remains to be seen. But if we can find innovative uses for it that help us run our city better, I think that's that's a, a real valuable thing to undertake. That ties in with another question uh, that that relates to the innovation. I guess I'll call it. Uh, we are. Uh, very close to becoming a one-gig city where every building in the city uh, has has the capability of having fiber, which means high speed. Uh, how does that impact you as a city council person and, and as an individual? 
Yeah, go gig red, I think is the yeah. phrase. <laughs> um, well, I'm very excited for Lincoln that this is happening because not every city can make this claim. And having that kind of technology infrastructure, the in infrastructure that's buried underground that we don't always spend a lot of time thinking about, uh, will, I think, benefit our businesses. Uh, it will help them do their, their work more efficiently. It will hopefully help our students uh, if there's more opportunity for public Wi-Fi, which we have as a part of this plan, then kids who may or may not have access to uh, good internet access at home will have better access in our libraries and in our, in our public spaces. And they need that because all, so much of the work is being done in the public schools uh, through Chromebooks and shared documents just like in our workplaces. Mm -hmm. So it's part of being a modern 21st century city. And I think that it also sends a signal to anyone who's evaluating our community and thinking about locating here, whether they're just people moving here or businesses thinking of opening a branch or starting up or locating here, that the city is thinking about these issues um, and has some infrastructure to support uh, technological advancement. Uh, so I, I'm really proud, really pleased that that we have private sector partners who helped make this possible, who have the vision, a long-term vision for what's good for the community and invested millions of dollars to help make it happen. Uh, the city played a role as well, but it really was led by the private sector and we're lucky to have private sector leaders who have, a, who have deep roots and ties in our community and are willing to try and improve it, not just for their own businesses, but for everybody's. Well, you mentioned Operation Greenlight. Yeah. That's made possible by the fiber connection of all the stoplights, for example. Mm -hmm. What about the driverless vehicles? That's really exciting. We are in the process of vying for another grant that might allow us to expand our city's transit options to include driverless shuttles in the downtown area, which, as you know, would really help with... Uh, people who are disabled and need mm -hmm. help assistance traveling. It would help with alleviating some of the parking burden that people face. Uh, it reduces a little competition for parking and hopefully alleviate traffic congestion, help with air quality, and just be a lot of fun. I think you probably had a chance to to test the I did. go on I a was, ride. Yeah, I did. Vehicle. I went on yeah. a couple of rides. Yeah. Kind of fun. Yeah, that was made possible through a Bloomberg grant. And that kind of goes back to the relationship that we started with Bloomberg with the open data. When I was looking at how to get an open data initiative launched for a community, I applied for uh, assistance from the What Works Cities program, a program of Bloomberg Philanthropies. And through a combined effort of city staff and and others, we were able to get free consulting to help us launch that, help us get that done well. And it's that relationship has continued. You've got this Mayor's Challenge grant that's allowed the driverless shuttle, and, and I hope that will continue to bear fruit for our community. Uh, and one other question along that line. Um, I feel that Lincoln is, I'll call us a startup community. It's a place where people can come because of the cooperative nature of the people here because of the technology we have, the, the, the quality of life. It's a place where people want to come and, and start a business. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about that a little bit. Is that something that you you at the city council try to foster and work on? Absolutely. We, we are very proud of our growing reputation as a, a hub of the Silicon Prairie. And I think that what you said about that startup culture that's growing, um, 
kudos to the people who are in the thick of it because they encourage each other, they support each other. They have every reason to be in very deep competition for resources and capital, but you see them with their hashtag bang the drum. They are elevating each other's success. I think they realize that mm-hmm. that, that rising tide will lift all the boats. And so there's a vibrant, energetic crowd who are trying to help put Lincoln on the map. And we do. We need to support them. And we try to do that by making this as vibrant of a place as it can be, that it is not only economically sound and, and, and safe, but that people who are looking to take jobs, and they can take jobs anywhere in the country, will stop and think about Lincoln very seriously because of the cultural opportunities, because of the restaurants, because of the quality of life and our school's quality. Uh, all of those things that the city can help with in terms of basic infrastructure and public assets, we need to make sure they're as in tip-top shape and attractive and helping us compete for the workforce that, again, can, can really call anywhere home. If we just had better public schools. That's a joke for anybody that doesn't know they are outstanding. When you mentioned uh, all the ways of getting around downtown, another one that's that's new in the last several months um, are the bikes. That you can you can rent a bike from a kiosk one at the library and bike to the university and drop it and then rent another one and bike out to East Campus if you need to and and so forth. And that was um, an initiative that was. I'm spearheaded by the Lincoln Community Foundation. So mm-hmm. would you talk a little bit about the role of philanthropy in in um, in moving the city forward? Yes, we are very lucky to have uh, visionary leadership at the Community Foundation. They are often the third leg of a stool when mm-hmm. it comes to private sector, public sector partnerships. They've done a lot of data collection to help the city have a broad and deep understanding of the state of affairs, whether it's our poverty rates or our strengths or the priorities through Prosper Lincoln of what we care about as a community, early childhood, innovation, uh, entrepreneurship, and, and workforce development. They've helped us identify some of the unifying uh, challenges and priorities to, again, foster more collaboration to make progress. I feel fortunate to sit on the board of the Community Foundation. I've had sort of a front row seat uh, to witness that over the last four years, and I think it's a huge part of the story of Lincoln's success. So um, philanthropy plays a big role. The generosity of many in our community, whether it's people with a lot of money or people with small donations that add up to a lot of money and our Give to Lincoln Day set a record. I think we have uh, a lot of testament to the generosity of, of the Lincoln individuals who, who call Lincoln home. I think I've, I've heard the statistics, uh, and I can't quote the, the numbers, but we have more nonprofit organizations than most cities our size. Mm. And it shows our caring nature. Uh, yeah. you know. This has been a very positive interview. I don't want to turn it negative, but I want to ask you... Um, I'll just kind of an open-ended question. Lincoln would be better if? If we had a better city council or better mm-hmm. schools, or, you know, <laughs> what, what do you think would make Lincoln a better, better city? Better at large representatives. Um, <laughs> you know, I think my husband would say if we had a better football team right now. Um, <laughs> but, and I guess my wonky answer would have to do with if we had a water source mm-hmm. locally. But I think that, um, I think that often... Times the answer to questions like these is really the the flip side of the coin to our strengths. You know, so often our strengths are also have a, a weakness associated with them. And so this strength we have of 
of being um, maybe cautious and not taking, uh, making sure that we're looking out for our assets that we can um, not kind of put things at risk and have helped us weather economic downturns. Um, but it also means that we're not always out in front. We're not usually the first to do something. And while we rank really high on so many measures of quality of life and um, economic success, uh, I think that, that taking risks is important if you want to reap the biggest rewards. And I think that's part of what our startup community is helping us see. I think they're showing and demonstrating to the rest of us that, you know, that risk-taking can be a positive thing. It can lead to some national attention. It can lead to new jobs. The, the folks who started Huddle came out of the university, took a risk, got support, and next thing you know, they're occupying you know, a huge block in the Haymarket with a headquarter that is headquarters that's employing a lot of people here and mm -hmm. across the globe. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think maybe that they're demonstrating for the wider community as are these public-private partnerships who've, who took a risk in building the arena and moving railroad tracks to grow the city, that there can be real benefits from, from deciding to roll the dice. You mentioned that the Open Data Initiative was um, an initiative that you and another council member brought forward, um, that it was a bipartisan initiative and so forth. Um, right now we're living in an incredibly partisan time and it feels like an incredibly divisive partisan time. So. Uh, you meet with six other city council members and you meet every week and there's a lot of work that has to get done mm -hmm. and it does get done. So would you speak to the partisan nature of the city council mm -hmm. and, and, and how how the work gets done in, in the reality of it being a partisan right. board? Right. Well, we are elected in a nonpartisan capacity, right. although I think you know everyone knows our affiliations uh, officially. We... We work together, we pass 99% of what comes before the council is voted on and usually has a unanimous vote. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are times when we split and we don't always split along partisan right. lines, um, but there are times when we do. And I think what, what I still love about local government is that we are each other's neighbors. We all are in this together. This is our home for all seven of us on the council and the rest of the community. We're very close to the people we serve. So it is easy to get a range of perspectives on an issue. And it's important to get a range of perspectives on an issue. It's important to know how it affects people in different parts of town. And we are able to do that through our public hearing process, through the ways that we are contacted. People remark time and time again to me how accessible all of us are, and I think that's really true. And we're accessible to each other. I mean, we all have each other's phone numbers. We talk outside the normal meetings, and we try to resolve as much of the conflicts as we can ahead of time. There certainly are some that still have to be hashed out uh, in a public hearing setting with discussion and debate. But we work hard at it. We know that our citizens feel better served when we aren't at odds when we are finding a unified way forward and there's a real commitment, I think, that you see um, most of the time to doing that. Um, but if we never disagreed, I don't think we'd be representing our community mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. So, um, but local government is a place where we not only can, I think, get things done and get things done pretty quickly, but it's also a place where other people can get involved. For the people who are feeling disheartened about partisanship, for the people who are feeling like the 
problems in Washington are insurmountable, I would encourage them to get involved at the local level where you can touch, feel, see, taste the differences that you can make. You, there are tons of boards and commissions at the city. We rely on the volunteer efforts of so many to get the business of the city government mm -hmm. done. And they can make a real impact. And they can get experience that can help them decide if maybe they want to run for office someday. Because this is a job that everyone should share. We, we need to keep rotating through and having people serve. So we need to cultivate the next generation of people who are willing to work on behalf of the city in this capacity. And I hope that there are many bright young people who are not being discouraged, but being activated to get involved. Thanks for listening in as we talk to someone who helps make Lincoln special. If you live here, drop us a note and let us know what you think about Lincoln. If you've moved away, well, we'd love to welcome you back. And if you've only heard about or visited Lincoln, we just know you'd love it here. Join us again and catch someone from Lincoln talking about why they love Lincoln and why you should too.